welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Hey, welcome adventurers to episode 102 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. Hey, King Scott here. And we're doing this one early, buddy. I tell you what, did you, did you get a good night's sleep? Ah, I got some sleep. Yeah, <laughs> um, um, yeah, it was uh, t- getting some time to kind of let things wash over me after last night's game session. So it was quite interesting. Yeah, we're we're up late. We're not getting the Gen Con experience. We're uh, we're officially Team Gen Can't, but we're didn't mean yep. we're not playing our fair share of games. We had a chance last night. Josh led off a game of uh, what was it? Alice is missing that I've been been talking yes. about, and uh, I, I suppose we can save some thoughts on that for another episode. But man, that uh, that went long. <laughs> we're really long. <laughs> The thing about it was that we had a timer, so we knew how much time we had, but it still felt like a long time. You know, once it started playing, though, and the, the timer was going, that's a very fast hour and a half. Once once it's moving, that clock, like 10 minutes, breezes by every 10. That is very true. I was really surprised. It was like 90 minutes, 80 minutes, 70, <laughs> 60, 50, 40, 30, 20 and just sped up as things went along there. Well, you ready for today? You ready for the episode? Oh, I'm all set. Let's do it. All right. You lead off the banter. Give me what you got. Okay. Well, as you said, Gen Con, we are Team Gen Cant this year. Once again, I don't know if it's something that the worlds are just going against me that I'm never going to get to Gen Con. Hopefully next year. We don't know. But... The big thing here is that we have hotels ready, everything's set, we're all set for PAX Unplugged, and we've even gotten our hotel rooms for Origins for next year. So we're all set for those, definitely going to be at those. So even though we're going to be living vicariously through other people's posts on social media this weekend, we're all set for the other big cons coming up later on this year and next year. And PGX. Don't forget that one. Uh, you know what, Adventures, I, I probably haven't mentioned it enough. PGX Retro Gaming Con. We did this one last year. That's the uh, the founded on old school video games, but now has a tabletop section. That's in Monroeville, which is like right outside of Pittsburgh. And I want to say they're like 15 bucks for the whole day. Free play on arcades and on pinball machines all day. But their tabletop area is literally like, I don't know, a third? A third of the con? Probably. And we're not talking a big thing. There were, I want to say, like 3,000 to 5,000 somewhere in there last year uh, across Saturday and Sunday. But, dude, I'm looking forward to that. That might be my favorite con because it's like, it's so personal. Like, we see people that we know and, you know, Brown is there and Nikki's there and, you know, all these folks that, that we that we get to see regularly. But sometimes, like, you know how there's people right down the street that you just don't see that often. My buddy Adam. Oh, dude, Adam is blowing me up about Jen. He was like, dude, driving to Indy all by myself. <laughs> It was a bad idea, but he's there. My, my pals from Washington are out that way, and uh, I'm, I'm so jealous. I told them if they can find the Maximum Chrome edition of Thunder Road Vendetta, grab it for me, which might be a spoiler for today's 8-bit breakdown review game, Thunder Road Vendetta. We got a lot of recent plays to talk about, too. Let's keep going with the banter. We are all set for PAX Origins and PGX. We're not at Gen Con this year. What else you got, King? 
Well, the other thing is this was a game that uh, we were given a, a copy of, oh, I think our first Origins we went to. And this mm-hmm. was a big thing. This was an early game that we got. So Pocket Paragons is a really simple game, kind of like Magic Extra Light. You play with like mm-hmm. eight cards. That's yeah. about it. Boom, boom, boom. You play it real quick. Now then, they've all gone out and they've made deals with different companies. So they're getting different characters brought in. They've now teamed up with Image Comics. Now, people who follow comics, they know Image Comics. They know the, that Brat Pack from 92 that broke off from Marvel and DC, started Image Comics, and they kind of went by the wayside. But Image has become such a huge force in independent comics. Mm-hmm. So now then, they're bringing their own comic characters into Pocket Paragons, which is really going to be awesome to really get them a lot more visibility for not only those characters, but also pocket paragons. You can basically have a whole box with, oh, I don't know, maybe 20 characters. That's going to be like a three by five box. Okay. So it's very, very small, very um, simple game to get into and play, but still a lot of strategy trying to figure out what cards have been played, when are you going to play it. So real happy for Pocket Paragons, and that's going to be really, really awesome for them, I think. Okay, I know nothing of Image Comics. Can you? It, are, do they have characters that I would know? Like, I'm not a comic guy, but I know who Spider-Man is, right? What does Image okay. Comics have well, that's yes. semi-mainstream? The big one that you would probably know is Spawn. Okay, yeah, I've heard of Spawn. There you go. So that was their big one there. That was the one that Todd McFarlane broke off of, of Spider-Man and Marvel Comics and started Spawn. And that been that has been going on for years and years and years. There have been other things that have broken off from them. Wildcats. Oh, what was the one from Rob Liefeld? Youngblood was another one. But like I said, a lot of those really came out hard and fast right out of the gates But then as they were on their own company, they kind of got drawn into different directions to do different business things. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. it's one of those tough things there whenever they created their comics, they're drawn their comics. Oh, but we have to take care of payroll. Oh, there's an HR problem that's going on. So the comics, a lot of them started getting slower and Uh, coming out less frequently. That's That's the death knell. But the great thing about it was that as they got pulled away more creators came in and started creating their own comics. One of the biggest ones really is Walking Dead. Started out at Image Comics. Oh, no kidding. So that was the big thing there. Yes, yes. That was uh, one of their great big things that came out of Image Comics. A little guy named Robert Kirkman who was so crazy. I was at uh, one comic con and I'm sitting here having a beer, chatting with Robert Kirkman all about Walking Dead. Mm -hmm. Really, really cool guy. Huh. Good for Pocket Paragons. You know, it, it's easy. Oh, I liked that game. You know, anytime we reference something that we talked about in the past. Uh, Pocket Paragons was kind of cool, but ultimately I thought like, well, you know, it's, it, it's also kind of like an also played type of game. But man, if they can bring mm-hmm. in IPs, like that's kind of my thoughts on uh, Unmatched. Unmatched is, you know, people love Unmatched, but to me it's kind of like, okay, it, it's simple enough. It It's one of those also played kind of games, but you start putting in characters. You start putting in like some IP characters. Mm-hmm. Unmatched has, well, like... The genie and King Arthur and Deadpool. You start throwing that kind of stuff in there and suddenly it's a bit more memorable when you get to, when you get some mainstream IPs infused. Good for them going that route. I think that could actually really push it to, uh, to, to the forefront. Yeah, I agree because it's one of those ones that you said is that we've played and 
it kind of got pushed to the wayside there by other games. I want to pull it out and take a look at it again and play it again because it is so small. It's so portable. It's so easy to get out and play. I don't know why I haven't been uh, playing it more often or bringing it with me to different meetups and everything. So that's going to be taken from my shelf and put in the game bag for the next meetup that we have or next get together. Today? <laughs> I'll see you at the shop in like it three hours. Be. Tom's it already on Facebook be. like, is anyone going to be there today? Eh. All right, Scott. <laughs> we don't have so to do look got? for it anymore. As we know, the One Ring... The One Ring has been found, as we know, as of, what, last episode. Someone opened it. I think he was in Canada. And he got two – well, there was a standing offer for it. And I don't rec- – I, I heard that the standing offer was two million bucks. He sold it. It has been purchased. Someone has purchased the One Ring Magic the Gathering card. It was Post Malone. <laughs> Which I'm pretty sure that's and like a it- cereal brand or something. No, that's – Post Malone, the dude with like the face tattoos, he's a, apparently a gigantic Magic the Gathering fan. He streams playing with like alpha and beta duels and stuff. So like dude's got the money. He buys up the really sweet cards. It's fun to watch his his stuff because he's playing with these like legendary, very high value cards. And now he's got the one ring. The thing about it that I really enjoy about it is you see his joy. I saw the video of the card changing hands from the guy who had it giving it to Post Malone, and he was like a kid in a candy store. He was beaming whenever he got that card. Gave the guy a huge hug, and it was just, it was so much fun that it wasn't just like, here's a transaction for what you had just purchased. This was something big, something special for them. And it was so cool to see that. It brings you back to trying to reconnect with that joy that you get whenever you play a game, whenever you're having fun, whenever you're doing something you really, really love. And it was so good to see that. Well, the painting continues. Well, not, I last. I think last I updated you, I was assembling all the miniatures for Wolfenstein for PGX. Yes. They had uh, like 3D terrain and, you know, oh my God, dude, there's four boxes. There are four boxes of this game with the expansions and everything and everything got put together. Now it's on to painting. And dude, I don't know what Archon Games is thinking. The, the hero plastic, all the pieces for the heroes are blue and all the baddies are red. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not the end of the world. You can just play with them and whatever. Right. But first of all, detail doesn't show as well on blue and red as it does on just straight up gray. It's mm-hmm. detail on a miniature looks best gray. I, if if it's not going to be painted at all, right? If you're going to have plastic, it's going to make it color because it doesn't make the detail pop. But I'm going to paint it, right? So it has started. And I was like, well, I guess the baddies, you know, we're talking you know, Wolfenstein. They're, they're Nazis. They're going to be wearing gray mostly. So I thought I started to paint one of them. And I took a gray primer on the brush and I was like, this oh, oh. is going to take Woo. forever. Yeah. So it, that really quickly turned into buying a can of spray primer. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but God. there's a problem. Oh. Yeah, all of them on the base, on the base of these things, they have uh, they have a number. So like you can have three different of this type of bad guy, for example. So you can't just... You can't just spray over that number or it's not going to show anymore. So I'm cutting little pieces of painter's tape. And I mean little pieces and gently using the X-Acto knife, gently placing it over the number, pressing it down so that whenever I spray, the number will stay red on the base and the rest of the base and the mini and everything turns turns gray. And dude, I, I did two coats. You know, I thought I was getting like under and from the side and from the top. And now here I am. I'm starting to do like, okay. 
these boots can be black. These gloves can be brown. I'm starting to do some of the little detail on, on like, say, the six, like, major soldat characters or whatever. And I'm seeing, like, little bits of red, like the original plastic and, like, the creases mm-hmm. of where I glued the arms together. And I'm like, why did they do that? But I'm getting there. I am getting there. I got, like, half the baddies in the base game box painted. Uh, they're they're not high quality, but they're not crap either, I think. You know, for me, they're... I think they're good, but you know, I'm doing Kingdom Death and I'm painting those too. I'm taking my time with each of those models and I'm making them really look as good as, as good as I can, which for most painters mm-hmm. is probably quite average. But to me, they, they look really cool. These ones, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get the paint on them and then I'm going to hope that, uh, that putting a little bit of the wash makes them, makes them pop because it would take, dude, I don't know if, if I'm, Happy for people that do painting all the time, like people that play these big minis assemblies games, or if I just pity them because it is work, it's lonesome, and it's tedious. Oh, I, uh, oh, contraire, my friend. That is the best part of those type of games. You get everything lined up, you get that primer sprayed on there, and you get music going in the background that reminds you of what you're going to be doing. I know whenever I would sit in, I would play, I would paint my Space Marines. I would have the soundtrack to Starship Troopers going in the background. And I would sit there and I would paint for hours. And that was one of the greatest (laughs) things ever. You would just look at like all this stuff in front of you, everything primed and you're ready to go. Oh, I got to see how you're painting these things here. Because I there are some little things you can do to make it much, much easier. There's... Some new paints out there that, oh my God, you can knock out one of those things in about half an hour and be done and have it look great. Well, my strategy, since I have like six of the same style soldier, I lined them all up and I got out like a really deep brown for their boots. And I just went like, okay, your foot and your other foot. And then I picked up the next model, your foot and your other foot. So I was like, I'm going to try and like, while I have a wet paint, I'm going to use it on all six. I'm trying to, in mm-hmm. my mind, like make up the decision of, okay, what am I going to do next? Uh, okay, I'm going to do the uh, the helmets and the shoulder armor pieces. So I need like a, a metallic silver and I'm just going to do every one of their helmets and every one of their shoulder pieces. The problem is it takes like 15 minutes for these six six or eight guys. And then it's like, well, I've, I've just spent 15 minutes. I've barely done anything. They each have a little bit of color on their helmet and their shoulders. And I still have like eight more colors to all. Oh, oh. <laughs> It's tedious. Uh, never, never again. Uh, I'll be, I'll be glad when it's done. I'll be proud, but I'll be glad when it's done. Scott, I want to talk about Dragon Master. I'm holding in my hand as you can see this hexagonal tile. This is a card. Yes. It's not a tile for a game. Uh, Dragon Master is going to be on Kickstarter. Yeah, they said August, so if it's not live now, it's going to be. Keep your eyes open for it. This is kind of cool. You ever play a game and you think, man, that would be neat if there was some asymmetry or they really need some player abilities to make me feel unique. Okay. Yeah, sure. That's what Dragon Master does. It is like 15 of these hexagonal tiles. And I'm just going to read one for example. So, all right, we're going to play a, uh, I don't know. We're going to say, we're going to play a game of, name a game, Scott. Castles of Burgundy. Okay. We're going to play a game of Castles of Burgundy. At the start of the game, everybody gets one of these tiles. That's the premise. And I drew the the card Strength. Strength's got a little bit of flavor text at the top. You're exhausted from your enemy's pursuit. You call upon Bahamut. But Bahamut... What what the hell is that dragon's name? Bahamut. Bahamut. I heard it in Final Fantasy VII and I was like 12. And I was like, oh, that's Bahamut. 
I don't know if that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, the strength giver to awaken your powers held deep in the world. It says the rewards of this scale are granted over three rounds. Number one, either increase the number of resource cards in your hand by 25%, minimum one extra card, or increase your monetary possessions by 10%, minimum of one. So if you're holding like, I don't, I don't know, 10 resources, you're going to gain a resource. If you're holding $10, you get three bucks. Number two, for the next round, if you're not the current leader, add half of the number of victory points that separate you from the leader to your total. So you're at 15 points. Uh, I'm at five. That's a 10 point difference. So half of that is five. Now I'm at 10. Haha. <laughs> Third round. After you complete your turn, immediately take another turn. All on this tile. So it gives uh -oh. me an asymmetric ability. Dude, I got the strength card. So this is what I'm going to get to do in this game. On the other hand, you might have nobility. Uh, it's a skill that does its own thing. Uh, different. Now, sometimes there are some. I've noticed there's a handful that are like, use this card when somebody uses an action against you. You cash it in. They have to do the exact same action against someone else. It's like, okay, I can see games where that is going to pop, but there's also, I think, going to be times where you're drawn that, you, you get that scale and you're like, this game does like Cascadia, no one's going to be attacking me, so, but how cool an idea! You get all these tiles and it's a way to like, you know guys, let's spice up the game, uh, and hell, if you're having a game day with your four buddies, there's enough tiles, like, everybody gets three tiles. For our first game, pick one of your tiles. For our next game... Pick another one of your tiles, and it's going to add to replayability for a lot of things, too. It's Dragon Master. thought that was really sweet. You stop and think about whenever they have Kickstarters or sales for game components, game accessories. You think of, oh, I don't know, like card holders or little dishes to put components in, uh, mm -hmm. things to hold your meeples, all this kind of stuff. You don't really think of an accessory being something like that in... That is a great idea. Adding that extra bit of oregano to the game to make it that much more special. You've got a or problem throwing with in oregano. that garlic salt. <laughs> oh, okay. You know what? I, I like the idea that it's a component that it's going to spice up your game, but it's going to actively interact with it. Like you said, uh, with the, the characters that you can use to give yourself asymmetric abilities in Thunder Road, for example, this is a way that you can give an additional asymmetric ability or a game that doesn't have any. You can incorporate it in the yeah. game. Now suddenly we have an asymmetric ability. Just one more thing. Really cool idea. I'm sure the price point's not going to – I mean, this isn't going to be a, a $60 Kickstarter. It's it's right. some hexagonal cards. You know, I, easy buy-in and uh, I'm excited to give it a try. I'll bring it to the shop today. That sounds great. Yeah, very, very cool. I like that. Dragon Master. Very cool. Let's get on with it. Recent plays. You want the floor or am I leading us off today? Oh, why don't I take the floor? It is yours, King. So, all right. So first game, we got a chance to try out at our last meetup. I played it with Mike, and we played a game called Dawn. This mm -hmm. has been kickstarted. Everything is ready to be going out. Really cheap price point to get into this game. So the best way of looking at this is, let's say you're in a medieval town, and you want to play Battlestar Galactica. In a medieval town? Yes, you want to play Battlestar Galactica. Wait, am I? You don't is have the game all... in the setting of the medieval town, or am I actively in this medieval town? The game, just go with me. Go with me on it. Okay, okay. You're in a medieval town. You want to play Battlestar Galactica. You don't have all the bits for it, so let's distill it down to the main part of Battlestar Galactica. Who's a bad guy and who isn't? So. 
in Dawn, you are a person that's living in this medieval town. Mm -hmm. So you have cards out in front of you of these main buildings that you need to build. Now, each round that you play, you will get a hand of cards, and these cards will be different colors. They will have treasure chests on them uh, up in the top corner, like a, a suit, like you, where you'd have diamonds or spades. There'll be treasure chests up there in the corner. They could have a minus next to it, or it could be just be blank next to it. So that means you're either adding treasure to something or you're taking treasure away. You also have different symbols on the cards as far as axes or hoes or different things like that that show up on the cards. They're really beautiful cards, beautiful artwork. Everyone puts in a number of cards to the buildings or to there are actually robbers that are out there that you need to fight against, or there may be a sickness that breaks out. So you have the cards and you place them next to those cards there as far as what you want to add to getting that completed. Now, unlike other hidden trader games, you're not given a role at the beginning of the game. It's totally up to you. Do you want to be a trader? Okay. Do you want to be one of the good guys with it? Okay. Well, you know what? I'm feeling just a little bit angry today, so I think I'm going to be a bad guy. Oh, of so, course. Say there's 15 treasure chests that you need in order to build one of the buildings. Well, you look through your cards and you have some that have treasure chests. You have some that have negatives next to it. You have some that have nothing next to it. Well, I'm going to throw in the negative ones. So those are thrown in there along with a couple other ones and along with the other people that you're playing with. They're all shuffled up. You then flip them over. You add up the number of treasure chests. Did it equal to what you needed? Yes. Well, the building's been built. Yay, yay. Everyone's happy. If no, okay, who is working against us? Hmm. So if you start out at the beginning where you're the bad guy and this building was built, well, I might not have a chance of winning. Maybe I'm going to switch sides here and start building along with it. So then... The cards that you get then, you're going to be adding the ones that add on to the buildings for the new buildings come up. Now you're on the good guy's side. So now you're trying to get the buildings built. But this one didn't get built. Well, who's on the bad guy's side now? Why don't they want that built? So it brings up all these little tension moments in this game in a very short amount of time. It's not like you're worrying about silence coming in. How many silence do you have to fight off? Everything. It's just right to the whole thing of playing the cards and who's with you, who's against you. Once you're done with the rounds, you then add up everything, see how many points you got and see whether or not you're on the good guy's side or on the bad guy's side. It's really a unique way of playing this game. It gives you the fun aspect of a hidden trader game, but it doesn't put you into the category of being a good guy or bad guy at the beginning of the game. It lets you feel out your character as to what you want to be. So it's really a fun way of playing that type of hidden trader type of game there and just letting it unfold before you. It's really very, very cool. Okay. Okay. I, I got questions. First, first of all, let, okay. let's start here. The art on this game is cool. That box art is awesome. I didn't see you playing, but I hope that the cards are equally stunning. Oh, they are. I mean, really great card artwork and everything. And another thing that's fantastic is it's not really touted as one, but it has legacy elements. There's one 
open when the Allies have won three times. Well, you've played three games. Oh, cool. Let's open this up and add something else. Open when a player has won the game as a scoundrel three times. Well, then you're going to open up this one. So they have uh, five different envelopes in here. Just with the game that's not really announced, it's kind of like a little extra surprise. Like, hey, check this out here as well. So they put a lot of effort into making such a great little game. And the price tag right now, it's 20 bucks. It's right. such it's a, a scoundrel small trader. price tag. Yes. I, I got a question. Okay, so a scoundrel's a trader. No one has a defined role at the beginning, and it sounds like you can just switch at any point in the game, right? Yes, you can. Yes. Okay, so why don't we all just work to get like? Does any what's the incentive to be like? Oh, I'm gonna sabotage things. Like, can you win if everybody like? Is it like either the scoundrels win or only one scoundrel can win? Like, what if we all sit down and we're all like, I'm gonna be the bad guy this time? Well, that's the thing. There, you want to win. You are either going to win as the scoundrels or you're going to win as the good guys. So, right from the rule book, once the great building round ends, the game is over and it's time to find out who wins. First, you must reveal your affiliation. So you need to say, were you playing for the allies or you were you playing as a scoundrel? And you don't actually you have a card cards. that says that. No, you just tell them. You just say, it's an honor system saying, yes, I was playing as a scoundrel. Okay. One part that I did miss here in the beginning is you're going to take one card and put it in your storehouse. You have a storehouse. So you're either going to be at a negative where you've been giving away all your goods for the good of the community to build everything, or you're going to be hoarding all the goods. So if you have a positive number of goods in your storehouse, you are going to be a scoundrel. If you have a negative amount in your storehouse, you're going to be an ally. Okay. So there's a little bit of holding you to the role that uh, that, that you're claiming. Yes, yes. But okay. like I said, you could be through round two and thinking – all right, the uh, the buildings are being built. I don't want to be on the losing side, so I'm going to just go and switch over to the ally side. But you still have those negative cards in your storehouse, so it's, hmm, how am I going to do this? I really need to give out a lot of money now. Am I too late? Am I still have enough time to possibly be on the winning side? Lots of little decisions in your mind as you play this. Interesting. Interesting. So do you like it? You keeping it? Oh, yeah. I, I definitely do like it. Like I said, it's a nice hidden trader game that you aren't stuck with the character you're playing at the very beginning. You aren't like, all right, so I got to just play as a ally through the whole game. You could be halfway through and see that things are mm -hmm. being built. Well, I'm going to jump ship and go be a bad guy here and hopefully pull out a win. But then everyone else could be like, well, it's not working. So I'm going to go to the good side. So it's it's something that's interesting. I'll bring it with me to the shop today and we'll take a look at it. Oh, sounds good. Sounds good. One of the most popular games in the hobby and the oldest in the BGG Top 100 is Crokinole. And at Level Up, we're big fans. Oh, yeah. Most of our meetups have a Crokinole board set up and ready for action. Our choice for anything and everything Crokinole is Brown Castle Games. Brown Castle is a family-owned company that produces boards of unmatched quality. With a circular frame, a variety of hardware veneer playing surfaces, and a professional edge banding, let me tell you, these boards stand out. Oh, no doubt, Scott. And along with your board, Brown Castle has the best crokinole accessories I have ever seen. The discs, the holders, the carrying case, they make the best. Yes, they do. Adventurers, you know our style. 
When we partner with someone, it's to get savings for you. Exclusively mm -hmm. for adventurers, get 5% off anything and everything from Brown Castle Games. The boards, cases, accessories, you name it. Get 5% off with promo code LEVEL5. L-E-V-E-L, -E -E the number 5, all caps, no spaces. Find it all at www.browncastlegames.com. Scott, I'm going to lead this one off with a little bit of flavor, right from the rulebook. For generations, the rats in the old junkyard have been telling each other the great legend about a moon made out of cheese, and they want nothing more than to reach this inexhaustible treasure one day. But how's that supposed to be done? One day, the little rat children discovered a comic in the junkyard that described the first landing on the moon, and thus the plan was born. Build a rocket and take over the cheese moon. Fortunately, the junkyard has everything the rats need to build their rocket, and the other animals are willing to support this daring venture, at least if they're getting paid well. Of course, all the rats work together to achieve this mighty goal. However, each rat family competes to build the most rocket parts and to train the most ratonauts so they can feast on as much of the lunar cheese as possible. Scott, this is first rat. I mentioned uh, to Will last episode that I'd talk about it. Oh, This one yes. comes from Gabriel uh, Celio and Virginio Gigli. 2020, talk 2022 game from Pegasus Spiel. Okay, so we've got a game about rats taking on their lunar aspirations specifically being the best at getting the mission off the ground, or in this case, out of the junkyard. So what exactly is happening in First Rat? Uh, you got a board with about 25 spaces, each depicting some sort of resource or benefit for landing on it and progressively getting better as you work your way from the bottom of the board up to the top. Each player gets two rats in the starting space, as well as two in the nursery at the bottom of the board, which uh, I'll get there shortly. The primary thing that you're doing in a turn is you're moving either one rat up to five spaces or multiple rats up to three spaces each, so long as they each end up on a different space of the same color. And there's like five different colors across the spaces, so it can take a little bit of positioning to really capitalize on the multiple, multiple movements in the same turn. I gather it's what you want to do because you get a lot more resources that way. Now, where you land, that's going to determine what you're going to get. Usually some amount of them, uh, tin cans or baking soda boxes, vinegar, that sort of thing. The resources are used to trade in for ship parts. Like you need two calculators and a tin can in order to contribute to the construction of the cockpit, that sort of thing. Notably, <laughs> when you contribute to any of the various ship parts, you can do so any number of times in the game and you'll get to put a point scoring cube. Everybody's got eight cubes. And anytime you do a thing, a point scoring thing, you use one of those cubes. You put it on the board and say, ah, I did that. And if you're the first to do a specific thing, you get more points than the person who did it second or third and so on. Also, you're going to score points in much the same way for each of your rats that reach the top of the board, which is like the end of that 25 space line. That rat gets in the shuttle, you've got a rat and not now. Now, there's a few other things that might happen on the board depending on where you land, and that's what's going to make this simple framework do a pretty damn good game. First, you've got light bulb spaces, which if you land on them, you get to move this little light bulb marker along its own path. It sort of follows the rat path, and the relevance here is pretty cool. Anytime one of your rats lands on a space that your light bulb has already passed, you get an extra resource of that type. And by oh, the end okay. of the game, you instead of pulling in like one or two resources a turn, you can pull in seven or eight. It starts to get pretty profound. 
Next, you might land on an Apple Core space, which directs our attention to the bottom of the board. And you're going to have to uh, you're going to have to imagine with me, Scott. Theater of the mind. Bottom of the board basically okay. has uh, it's got like a rondel. Bottom of the board. Yes, bottom of the board. It's a rondel. <laughs> Everybody's got a marker there, and you go clockwise around this rondel at the bottom. But you can make three. You can make stops in three different areas. All right. You can go around the first uh, curve of the this rectangular rondelle, and instead of going all the way around, you can stop at the first intersection and work your way back up. And if you do that, you get to get a comic book. It's an asymmetric ability. The next one okay. takes you a couple more spaces to get there, but if you continue along the bottom portion of the rondelle, you can turn at the next intersection where you can unlock your third or fourth rat. So you have an extra rat on the track. Remember, like I said, you may move multiples in a turn. Right. So, okay, good, good. The last one is strictly points. You make the whole lap. You stop at that last spot. You're going to get points. And then once your rat is back up to the top of the rondelle, it's going to just keep going around. So you have that decision. Every time you land on apple cores, okay, I get to move that rat down there three spaces. I'll move one. I'll move two. Oh, I'm at an intersection. Do I turn here and take a comic book or do I keep going to unlock a rat? Really, really like that. So we, we understand the spaces, right? They're getting us resources. They're moving the light bulb. They're allowing us to scurry around that rondelle at the bottom of the board. But one last thing, uh, and there are three of these spaces on the board. There are markets. Okay. Harry Hamster. We got to use the names. Harry Hamster sells backpacks. They're asymmetric abilities. Zippy the Frog, he's got uh, he's got Red Bull. He's got energy drink cans, which you just turn over and be like, I'm going to double that space. So you land on a space with four light bulbs. And you're like, man, I get to move my light bulb four spaces. You can cash in that energy drink and be like, I get to move it eight. Finally, the Madcap Crow. He's got bottle caps at the top and those provide end game points. And they all sell them for cheese, uh, which... Cheese is one of the spaces you can – it's basically the currency. It's the generic currency. How about this? Instead of paying like Harry Hamster, he's the first one at the first uh, round, uh, mm -hmm. like the first curve of the track. If you don't want to pay Harry Hamster, you can steal a backpack, but that rat has to go back <laughs> to the start of the board. You think, oh, man, that's a real detriment. No, because you're saving six cheese and that's a rat at the start of the board. So that whole thing about moving multiple rats in a turn – well, now, uh, now he's mm -hmm. set up. He can make it to green on his turn. My one that's further up the track will also make it to green. And the one that I just put back at the start of the board, he's behind my light bulb. So I'll get an extra resource for every lands. Play is going to continue until one player's place all eight of those, those scoring cubes on the board or until one player has all four of their rats reach the end of the path. And at that point, score is going to be tallied. High score wins the game. Scott, this game rocks. This game is cool. I, I'm really liking first rat. It sounds like it. It sounds really very, very cool there as far as – how do I want to put it? It, it? it seems like it's a lot deeper of a game than what the flavor of it sounds like. I mean, you look at it, you think first rat, they're going to make a rocket to go to the cheese moon. And it's – oh, mm -hmm. okay. That's kind of a cutesy thing. But there's a lot Super of cute. stuff behind it to make it that much more of a deeper game. That's very, very cool. Yeah, you would think like, okay, it's a simple movement game, but there are enough bells and whistles surrounding that simple movement and enough meaningful decisions that like, okay, simple movement, that means that my daughter can play it and she'll be able to function in the game. But there are enough meaningful decisions that like, I had this at Nikki's game day uh, two, three weeks ago. I was playing it with Melissa mm -hmm. and playing it with uh, with JD. And you know what? We all had a blast with it. Like there, there are meaningful things, uh, decisions that you're making while you play. Let me get this out of the way. It's not going to be the marquee game of your big old game day right you, you you're planning okay. out your game day it's like man we're gonna play some frostpunk 
You know what I mean? We're going to play some insert big grandiose game. You know, that's the biggie. This isn't that. It's higher than lightweight, though. It, it's not a filler game. It takes, I want to say, an hour to play if you're playing with four people. Maybe a little bit longer. Our, our play went long, but I've been playing a lot with my wife. How about that, too? It's appealing to casuals. Oh. You got the charming theme. You got asymmetric things that you're doing. And it's not overly, it's not bogged down with rules. You know what I mean? I, I think that if right, Chris and I right. wanted to play it, you know, she wanted to play because she saw the box cover and she was like, I'll do that. I want to be a rat going to get get to the moon. <laughs> If we opened that box and the mechanisms were brass, she'd be like, okay, I checked out. This is dumb. You know, we've all, we've all been there. We've all had that gamer that takes right, an right. interest and we're like, oh, this is great. We might, one of us, one of us. And then you start explaining the rules and they're, you're like, not one of us. And this is one that I think is appealing to a, a wider swath of people. Yeah. It, it seems like you have a lot of mechanisms there that are in heavier games but it's just distilled down to the easiest way to get everything across there so that it is more of an entry-level type of game to get people to dip their toe into the world of hobby sure. gaming. It sounds sure. very cool. You know what it kind of reminds me of with all the resource gathering and trading things in is uh, – you remember we reviewed Transmissions about a year ago? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't love Transmissions, and we're going to have our look back on that one relatively soon. You know what? I didn't put our look back in the notes. Maybe it's today. We'll find out. Transmissions was too simple. It was too simple. There wasn't enough on the bones. And, and it was going to it was gonna suck in your non-gamers because it's got cute robots and cute robot art. And it does that. But the actual game was like kind of wrote kind of like, okay, I move here. I get this. I move here. I get like not exactly. I didn't feel like I had meaningful decisions to make. There was either an obvious good move or I'm just churning, you know, treading water not doing anything mm -hmm. exciting. This has the simplicity of transmissions, but it has this, it's everything that I wanted transmissions to be. And this has a better theme. Let me give you some other quick tidbits and then I'll give the floor back to you. Gameplay is one to five players. There's a solo mode in the box. That track, it's a set track. Uh, it shows you, you know, the same things in the same order every time, but you turn the board over and it's got, instead of like the oval shaped spaces, it has blanks and there's a big old stack of oval tiles. So you can actually have a variable board that way. Two-sided board. But that that's that's what I got. I feel like I had something else to say, and I don't. <laughs> really love First Rat, though. <laughs> I wanted to make it a review game, Scott. I, I'm that pleased with this one. I know. I saw you shooting messages back and forth about First Rat, and you were really enamored with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I made Will buy a copy. Well, I didn't make him, but he bought a copy, and he said, oh, it's because of you. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, I hope he doesn't hate it. <laughs> <laughs> That's always intimidating. So have you had that yet, Scott, where somebody's like, oh, yeah, I listened to the show and I bought that game because of what you guys said. And instantly, like, it's either like, I, even if it's a game that I love, like if somebody's like, yeah, I bought Twilight Imperium because of you. You know, in my mind, I'm like, oh, oh that's no. a mistake right there. Oh, no. Oh, sh shut it. <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, though. We're, we're like, yeah, I, I bought XYZ game because of what you guys said. Uh Oh, what if they don't like it? They're going to think we're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. I No, whenever I had my shop, I had a person from our church come in and they were looking for games mm -hmm. and I talked them into buying Survive. Okay. And you know, I was like really proud of myself. And then I heard later on, they're like, we never played that once. We looked at the rules and we're like, we're in over our head. And I felt Aww. so horrible about that. that yeah, that's an approachable game too. That, uh, what a shame. They missed out. They missed out on a good time. That they did. That they did. Why don't you do a commercial? Oh, I'm a 
Hi, I'm Sarah McLaughlin. I'm reaching out today with a cry for help. Every day, innocent podcast hosts go hours without being the center of attention. My ego. Your five-star rating on iTunes says that you care. I need to be important. Without your support, these nerds will be neglected, beaten, possibly die. I'm so hungry. Please, open your heart. Give that five-star rating on iTunes, or rate them favorably on whatever platform you listen. All right, so, Patrick, I've been seeing a thing on Facebook for quite some time here, and I, I used my somewhat powers of being a podcaster to reach out and touch to a, oh God, that sounded bad whenever I said that, <laughs> to reach out and contact a publisher about a game. Now, okay. This is a game that's been popping up and I've had so much interest in it and I contacted them and they were great and they sent me a copy of the core game and sent me two decks of their expansions that that, that are out already. This game is Redline, a tactical card combat. Came out 2021, actually. I see that here. Oh, 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 oh. oh. Um, and they've had two expansions with Siege and Battle of Neom. And they have another one coming out that they've pushed back to the end of August called Payday. Redline, this combines a lot of things I love. I really like card games. I, I mean, Magic... I can appreciate for what it is. It's a deck of cards you take with you. You can play anywhere. It's great. Pokemon, same thing, but with kids. That Star Wars collectible card game, that is one of my favorite games of all time. Netrunner, so many things that you have just a deck of cards you play with. So this here, you have a deck of cards. Now, then another thing I love is Battletech. So this one has a Freets in it, they call them, but they're, they're mechs. They're mechs that are piloted by these amazing pilots that you can upgrade in different ways. You have missions in the middle, in between you and your opponent, that you have to go in and complete these missions to take control of these different areas. All right. So all these things here are just really hitting everything that I really love. In Redline, what you're going to be doing is you're going to be building up your forces to take over and be victorious against your opponents by taking more of the missions. There are five missions, taking more of them than your opponent. Now, in order to do that, you're going to play out one card each turn. Now, there are resources that you need in order to pay for your freets, for different actions that happen. You even have a general that oversees everything that goes on. It gives you like this super big power that's like, it's a game changer that you can use. All right. As you go along here, you're going to build up your resources. You're going to put out your freets. Okay, you have a mech, but it gets exciting because then you see the upgrade areas underneath it. So then you can upgrade it with missiles. You can upgrade it with guns. You can upgrade it with armor. You can get a special pilot on it and make this thing the beast that you want it to be. The order of play is that you're going to deploy your cards putting the cards in the front line. So this basically means that they are available for you to use in your battles. Next, what you're going to do is you all have dials 
that have numbers on there, one to five, mm-hmm. or an S. So you secretly decide on which mech are going to go to which battlefield. So you're sitting there. I'm going to send this one to one, send this one to two. You know what? I'm going to send this one to two as well. You then all together bring up your mechs, put them into battle. You then roll a 12-sided die to see who's going to win. You have different things that will add on. They have an armor class you need to roll higher than. If you do, well, hey, you just won that battle there. So you've won control of that. As you go along, there are going to be other cards that come up. There's tactic cards. The tactic cards give you an extra little thing here because each turn you're going to be putting out a supply box. So the supplies are going to help you buy things. Well, the tactic cards give you recon points. So that's basically the guys that are out in the front lines with their binoculars covered in a ghillie suit looking to see what happened, what the enemy is doing. So they give you that extra little edge. So in order to use that, that edge, you can add up each turn as you get more and more recon ability for it, up to six, you can use those points to help pay for the things that you need to battle with. So with All me right. so far? Yeah, so, so far so go good. Along here, you're going to have a battle. If you win, you put down your marker saying, I have taken over this mission. I've taken over this territory. You want to get through there and you want to win out over your opponent. But it could change hands time and time again. So you really need to be able to get things out, shore up your defenses, shore up your attacking line, and make sure that you have enough out there. This scratched so many itches of games of Battletech, the Star Wars CCG, Magic, Commander, all these different things here. Put it all into one nice, neat thing. And I cannot wait that they have another Kickstarter coming out in August. So definitely keep an eye out for that at the end of August, because I know you're going to be able to get the core set. You're going to be able to get the other expansions and this new expansion right now. Great artwork, great theme. I really want to delve into it more and more and more and really get into this game. I tell you what, the art is captivating. Uh, while, while you were explaining it, I was I went over to the Geek because I was like, man, I, I got to see more of this because I saw the box cover and the Geek's got like three pictures up. So uh, it does mm-hmm. lead to, to redlinegame.com where, dude, they have a card gallery. You can see every card in like a uh, like card gallery. I can see the core set. I can look up Siege. I can look up Battle of Neom. Uh, let's say I want to go to the, the card gallery, critical hit cards from the core set. Like this mm-hmm. art is cool. This game looks thematic as heck. It really taps into a feeling that people get. I mean, there's like certain themes you want to have in a game. So having a game that has fun mechanics, that's one thing. But adding that theme onto it that you really like. I mean, I have mechs out there, light mechs, medium mechs, heavy mechs going out or, or freets that are going out doing battle and adding those pilots to it. You get a possession like feel over it that. Those are my pilots. Those are my Afrits that are going out there to, to do battle. And I can't wait to see where this game goes. Well, that's Redline Tactical Card Combat. Scott, I feel like I should be playing the Adventures on the Horizon music. Do you want to do the music? Okay. 
All right, this one comes from First Fish Games 2024. It's going to be coming to Kickstarter. They said late August. Uh, I'm not certain that they had a firm date, so I didn't put it in there. Designed by Adrian Adamskew and Daryl Andrews, this game is called Mist Wind. Uh, these designers, for what it's worth, uh, they also did Sagrada, Speakeasy Blues, Bosk, uh, among others. So there's some pedigree here. Mist Wind's one wow. that uh, I want to say I saw it at it, maybe it packs or it could have been as, as long ago as origins last year it won some award as like uh you know upcoming game of the con whatever but uh we know stephanie from first fish we we talked about ducks and toe you picked up um uh town builder Cavorden. we like their games so miss yep. wind looked a little bit deeper looked a little more like your standard euros is like huh what are they doing here i gather it's a game that they signed it's a route building game with worker placement as it's core mechanism really you know enough with the uh, the technical bullcrap let's get some themes scott in the newly explored frontiers of the Mistwind islands bustling cities are filled with hard-working towns why am i talking like that why why am i talking like this when i do a theme read <laughs> hey hey it shows you that the theme comes through in the game. <laughs> That's true. There you go. Uh, <laughs> bustling, bustling cities are filled with hardworking townsfolk, from fungus farmers to deep mist divers. Transport whales are seen soaring above the thick mist, transporting citizens and cargo from port to port. Mistwind is growing rapidly, and our leaders are looking to connect with neighboring nations to expand trade networks that will be beneficial for many years to come. You are the head of trade companies with a chance to make a name for yourself. You've trained your transport whales well, and now you need to gather resources to build your outposts and maximize your network efficiency while keeping up with the supply and demands of the local capitals. So we've got a central board here. It's got the uh, the map with a bunch of territories, many of which contain cities. These cities have particular demands for goods that they want, a la, like, uh, I don't want to say tickets like in Ticket to Ride, but basically it's a pick up and deliver game. You're trying to get these goods, okay. uh, get them from the board and get them to the cities that want them. And what makes the game particularly excellent is the worker placement through which everything is facilitated. Namely, your workers, you got chips and they're numbered one through five. You're playing a, a low player count game. You use all five of them. My demo at Origins, we had a, a full, the full, uh, what is it, the full table, the full player full count. So the full boat, there you, the full whale in this case. So we each got rid of one of our <laughs> chips. Uh, that being said, you have chips numbered one through five, and that's kind of the, uh, the, the, not the strength of your worker, but it dictates what they're able to do. Around the outside of the board, okay. you've got four different sections of abilities numbered one through five. That's Those are like the menus of actions that you can choose. Two of these are basic functions, moving around the board or gaining resources, that sort of thing. The other two have a selection of cards, and that's going to be evolving and rotating from round to round as people pick them up. The goal of the game basically uh, is basically to deliver goods to various cities that need them. So there's there's some play with economics here. But beyond that, you're trying to connect routes from city to city for more points and bonuses. The workers, as I mentioned, uh, the workers having numbers is what's going to make the game great. Because once a player places their, we'll say the number three worker, in one of the action rows, that spot in that action row, that's straight up taken for the round. Gone, donezo. Of course, other players can still use their number three worker for the threes on the other rows. But because there are multiple places that you can effectively remove an action card from, it means that every single worker becomes critical. Not only do they block a spot, as we see in normal work placement, but it also means that by the time it's your turn again, you're going to have several options cut off from you. Okay, I'm using my three here. That blocks everybody else from using their three here. 
but maybe they're going to use their twos and fours. And when it comes back to me, I'm not going to have that four that I really want over there is probably not going to be there. Oh man, that makes some, some really, really good decisions. Throw in some end game goals, some asymmetry throughout play. Dude, Mistwind was definitely my favorite preview game of Origins. This game is great. So I'm looking at pictures here, and one thing I like is the board is kind of plain. So it's not like overtaken by a lot of artwork, which makes it look like it's a chart. Like you're you're overlooking these charts of where things are going. So you're more of in a uh, managerial type of position. But the neat mm-hmm. thing that I really like are the components that you have on there. The whales, the little like castles or trading posts that you have put around there. What are yeah. all the components like? Well, this was, I don't want to say prototype. I think it's like near complete prototype. The components are fantastic. Uh, the, the chips are just chips that you're placing for your workers. I don't know how they're going to make them anything beyond just a chip. And we had very basic basic chips that we were playing with at Origins. But those little outposts that you're putting on the board, the whales that you're putting on the board, multiple people can have them in the same location. The idea there is that like you're creating your network. You might have an endgame scorecard that says you need to have a network that goes from this capital in the bottom left to this city in the, we'll say the middle top portion of the board. Those castles okay. and and the whales, the, the, the castles and whales are basically your connections. You say, look, I have a completed route. And what's cool about that is that like, while the castles, well, the outposts, they are, while the outposts stay where they're at, the whales are kind of like moving pieces that like, not only are they going to transport goods for you and and give you more of an economy to work with, they're also going to, okay, while this whale is parked right here to pick up this resource, look guys, I I have a, now I have a route that connects uh, my bottom left city to that city in the bottom right because I parked two whales there. Yes, you can get multiple whales. So when you're moving whales and delivering goods, you can, I'm going to move this one over here. And this one's going to move one space and work his way up towards that place in the top right to deliver that good. Components were excellent. And the artwork, the the, the board, first of all, you said the board kind of looks like charts. Make no mistake. It's, it's a chart on the right and a chart on the left. That's where you're gathering those basic re- resources. The center is a map and it's not overly colorful. You know, it sometimes it's, oh, it looks beige. I love the look of the map. If it was overly colorful, the pieces would was, get lost. It would look like a mess. I think that was the whole thing there. Whenever I said chart, it was like you're unrolling the charts on the boat and everything. The captain is unrolling uh, the charts there. So you have that old-timey looking map there. So I may have yes. used the wrong word. Oh, that, that's fair. That's fair. I, I, but you know what that does? That makes the colors pop. You've got the teal, the orange, yes. the yellow, the, the player colors start to pop on the board. The artwork with all of its colors starts to pop on the on those two markets at the bottom and the top of the board. Oh, this game's cool. Keep your eyes on it. Miss one's going to be on Kickstarter. If it's not live now, it is imminent. It's going to be live any second. Look it up. Hit remind. You don't want to miss this one. I'm looking at the artwork and I tell you what, I want a novel in this world. I want to read more about this world. It looks Absolutely fascinating. The last thing I want to hear is our little trumpet player there. I, oh, you should make that okay. your ringtone. Every time you get a text message, you get do 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 do. So what do we got at the top 100? Well, nothing in the top 10 and no debuts. So no extremely exciting news, but we do have some movers. Crokinole. Uh, don't ask me how. It it, it took oh. 100 years. Crokinole has moved up to number 49, up two spaces. How about Woo. that? 
Heat, pedal to the metal, up three spaces to number 67. New highest peaks. These games are higher than they've ever been. Great Western Trail 2nd Edition is up to number 32. Kanban EV up to 52. The previously mentioned Heat Pedal to the Metal at 67, and Frosthaven is up to number 70. When things go up, something's gotta go down, and they are Pandemic Legacy Season 0. Dude, we've been mentioning that game every other episode for its climb. Oh, I know. Season 0 goes down two spots to number 51. Yes. Maracaibo down two spots to number 55, and Android Netrunner down two to number 71. Oh, that hurts. Happy birthdays! Scott, we got three birthdays this go beyond the sun one year. So I'm so happy to see it. It's like my baby right there. <laughs> the crew, the quest for planet nine, three years, and it's seven years, scythe. Well, hey, that that is an evergreen title. I think that that's going to be there for a long, long time. Hey adventurers, King Scott here. Today we're in an event, an event where we'll sell you the whole seat, but you'll only need the edge. Imagine a world where you're racing against madmen trying to kill you and win a race by any means necessary. Well, that would be Thunder Road Vendetta. In the latest resurrection from Restoration Games, Thunder Road Vendetta from Brett Myers and Dave Chalker brings the old favorite back with a great production. To start the game, select your color, gather your dice and your vehicles. Randomly select the side of the road for sections 1, 2, and 3. These boards give you all sorts of obstacles to get in the way of your goal. Win the race. You place your dashboard, which is made up of four pieces, dashboards for small, medium, and large cards, and the all-important command panel. Place your cars at the end of the first road, roll the dice, you're ready to go. The highest total roll will be the first to start the race. You will take one of these dice and place it on the panel of the car you want to move or your command panel. More on that in a moment. You then move your car the total number of pips that are listed. Easy. Oh, remember when I said obstacles? Yeah. Obstacles that you can run into are oil slicks, send you flying in uh, less than preferred directions, mud will slow you down, or mountain. You also have other vehicles you can run into. So, there was that command panel I spoke of. The panel will allow you to use nitro, go a couple extra spaces, drift, allow you to drift magically through another car, only once, and repair. You think you wouldn't take damage in this race? (laughs) Finally, you have a deadly airstrike. Along with your three cars, you have a chopper to do damage to others, and sometimes your own cars. After the first round, the safeties come off, and you're able to shoot your opponents. Get them out of the way! When this happens, you roll a die that has all the different sizes of vehicles on it. If it matches the size you're shooting at, you're done. Good. Once a vehicle has taken two damage, They are immobilized. No other choice than to repair. Finally, trading paint. Slamming your opponent. When this happens, all sorts of mayhem occurs. You will roll a slam die as well as a direction die. The slam die will show you which car will take the brunt of the damage. The top car or the bottom car. 
and the direction will show you what way you're going to travel. If it is into a mountain or off the side of the board, game over, man. Now, there are a few more tidbits that occur in the game that, let's just say, I want you to find out for yourself. Let's see if Patrick passed his driving test in Thunder Road Vendetta. Thunder. 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 Hey, Scott, thanks for the walkthrough of today's review game, Thunder Road Vendetta Adventures. As you know, we like to do the 8-bit breakdown. We're going to look at eight facets of this game, starting with art and components, wrapping it up with was it fun and who's it for? Art and components. What you got, King? Okay, well, art and components. This game here, you're going to be just beating the snot out of each other. So, you don't really want to have really great, pristine-looking cars. No, you got these cars that look like they're getting ready for a big slobber knocker. Yeah, so gritty. that's what you have here. And it's one of those great things. They could have made these things very, very simple. But they went that extra little mile here to make the cars look really good. Did a great paint job on them. There's two different colors on them and a little bit of... Uh, of a wash on there to make them look dirty and grimy. Mm -hmm. One of the best things I love about this is the little squares underneath it and on top of the cars. Because, hey, there are going to be things we're going to be talking about here in a little bit that make you put the cars on top of each other. So you don't want them to fall over the other place. Just that little bit of a detail there put th things out there that was just so great that makes things stack. Mm -hmm. Um the artwork is fun. It's supposed to be in a wasteland. Hey, it's all orange and browns and everything. Else. It looks like a wasteland. Having the names of each part of the road printed out on the top there, it looks like an old action movie, like a uh, what's the a grindhouse action movie, like something from Death Race yeah, like two thousand or, or something. something like that across the thing. Yeah, and it's just really nice little details that they do with this here. All the stuff that you need is right in front of you. You don't need to be constantly going back to the rule book. Oh, what's this mean? What's this mean? No, everything is very simple. It's right out in front of you. For what it is, I think they did a great job with the art and components. What do you, you think? When you say everything's right in front of you, I think what you're looking for is the graphic design is nice. It's easy and it's intuitive to figure out what you're supposed to do next. Yes, that's what I was trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, this game's got toy factor. You get to play with little cars. You, you got your chopper. Like, I want to play with the toys in the game. Uh, the propellers on the chopper, they actually spin. I, I, can't, I, I can't sit still. I, do, I just keep flicking the propeller. Pat, Pat it's your turn. <laughs> you got nice thick uh, cardboard tiles here. The road, I like what they do with the road. Kind of like that old game Selenia where, where you have that, like, the air is constantly shifting. Where somebody reaches the end of the oh, road, yes, you get yes. rid of the last tile. You add a new tile to, to the, the front of the, the road. I, I like that. Um, art's kind of minimal, aside from the box just popping and grabbing like, look at this. Beyond that, it's mostly you're going to be seeing, I mean, you've got your toys that you're playing with, and then it's graphic design 
from there on between your dashboard, your rolling dice, you've got some tiles on the board, but they just have symbols. You know, they, you don't have a whole lot to work with as far as art goes once you open that box. But I tell you what, that doesn't take away from the theme and immersion, which is bit number two. I feel like I should cue the, uh, you ever play Spy Hunter on uh, on Nintendo? Oh God, yes. We had a, a Spy Hunter video game in our fraternity house in college. Oh really? Like the, the arcade? Like the stand-up yes. unit? I didn't know that. It had yes. Any well, there. Okay, so I feel like we need something like that going because uh, this game, ten out of ten, theme and immersion, they crushed it. Uh, it's shooting for like a high-speed, dangerous race down this lonesome, cavernous canyon-filled road, and man, you feel it. You want to go fast. It's a race. You, you got to get moving, but there is chaos. You're going to blow up. You're going to blow up. <laughs> it's inevitable. Yeah, you. you- you really don't want to care about the paint job on your cars or anything like that at all. You need to get to the end of that race as fast as possible in the most direct path as possible. Mm-hmm. However that you need to do that, that's the way you need to do it. So that opens up the whole thing of you're going to shoot at guys. You are going to bump into them. You're going to try and wreck them into a mountainside. You're going to try and knock them off of the road. I started out playing this game. I'm going to be very careful and go one, two, three, four, move around. By the time I'm like midway through that first board, I'm like, oh, to hell with it. I'm going straight through here. I don't care who's in front <laughs> of me. I'm crashing into you. Uh, you do have to kind of take your chances too because because it's such a chaotic game because anything can – like. Even just taking damage, like, oh, okay, I take one damage. No, you have to pull one of those tiles and it says what happens, which talk about thematic. The one the one piece was like shrapnel. So if you if you yes. shoot somebody and you hit them and they take damage, it's shrapnel. A piece goes flying off. You roll the die. You don't know where that thing's going to go. You roll the die and it says what direction the shrapnel goes. And the shrapnel, I, I think that tile specifically says whatever the first thing it would hit if there's a if it's a vehicle, then they take damage too. And it's like, oh man, that's so awesome. So I shot them and their door went flying off and it it hit Mike right in the in the back of his car and now his car uh, it. it it had to go three spaces this way because it caught him in the tire and the tire bust. Oh, dude, you can – it's like a clip from a movie when you're playing this game. And then you got choppers flying in. Oh, <laughs> the even of this, – this game makes me giddy, man. It brings a kid out. <laughs> Scott, let's well, talk okay. complexity. Let, let's get right there because yes. there's there's not a whole lot of complexity here. You're rolling dice. You're assigning dice. You're moving your cars. There you go. You know That's all I wrote down. That is the complexity of the game. Rolling dice and assigning dice to your dashboard. And that is as simple as you have three cars. You have four dice. Three of your dice have to go towards your cars for movement. One of your dice goes towards one of the special abilities on that that little side to the dashboard where you can either deploy the chopper or you can you can get a little overdrive, you know, the nitro, get somebody moving a little extra, or maybe you're repairing a car. You've got some decisions over there, but I don't think that mm-hmm. that makes the game complex. You're typically just, well, I'm assigning the die and I'm moving. Can you can you add? Can you tell adventures a little bit more about the complexity of Thunder Road? <laughs> Well, that's the beauty of it. There's not a lot of complexity in this. The complex part of this game comes from the effect from your cause. So your cause is going to be running into another car. The complexity comes into 
Well, which way is it going to go? Do I really want to hit them at this point in time here? Or do I want to wait till I'm a little bit closer? Because you don't know. You're going to roll those die. Whenever you hit somebody, you stack the cars on top of each other. So mm-hmm. you're in your little joust mode. So you're both in that same spot there. You roll a die, and it shows you whether the top car or the bottom car is going to take that damage. Well, if you're the top car, you roll that die, and you're in this little spot of, like, two spaces in between this mountain. The top car comes up. Oh, dear God, my plan just went horribly <laughs> it wrong. It backfired. <laughs> but you you know, don't know what's going to happen. They incorporate theme there, too, because the whoever has the bigger car can force a reroll just once. You know, it doesn't always yes. work out. And the the the, the bigger car, I, I want to say the bottom car, the one that got wrecked into, I think that's four out of the six faces of the die. So it's got higher odds that the bottom car is the one that's mm-hmm. going to have to move. So if you're the one doing the wrecking, it's less likely that you're the one that's going to, well, the wrecking, the ramming. If I'm ramming into your car, <laughs> my car's on top. Therefore, it has a lower chance of being the one that's, that's forced to move. And man, if it's a big car, you better believe it's most likely going to be you moving. But you know, I don't even know right. that that's complexity because <laughs> everything that happens as a result is chaos. It is chaos. God help True. you. Like... We had a four-player game stacked up. In the, we played this game like three or four times at the meetup. And I'm telling you what, inevitably, after one round, if you have four players, there is a pack of cars. And all it takes is one car to ram into the pack. And the dominoes start falling. This one moves over there, which hits into this one. It took a damage, which shot shrapnel over here, which moves this one three spaces. And it landed on it. Oh, it's like it, it's like watching a train wreck. Yes, that it is. But it's such a beautiful train wreck. I've had way too much coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Let's tone it down. Let's go to rulebook and learning curve. The rulebook, it's a it's a top notch rulebook. Uh, big pages. They don't mm-hmm. give examples, but I don't know that they really need to. Like they reference what happens. There's big reference lists for like here's what all of the damage tiles do. Here's what they mean. Not that you necessarily see it. Uh, I think learning curve. Okay, back to rulebook. One time through the rulebook, you're going to be able to play this. Learning curve, there are a handful of symbols to learn, but after you've played the game one time, I didn't have to reference the rulebook again for the rest of the day. Like, okay, that means top car. That means it moves in this direction. Roll the direction die. Mm-hmm. Roll the stunt die. It's like, wait, stunt die? It's the green one, and it says how many spaces or how many times you have to roll something else. It's It's... The learning curve comes with familiarizing yourself with the small handful of symbols in the game, I felt. Anything to add on rulebook and learning curve. And you had this one out uh, with little ones, so I'm interested to hear. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was it was quite simple to teach them because you have your dashboard in front of you. You roll four dice. All right. Now then you use those dice to put them where they have a little dice symbol and match the number. Very, very simple there to teach people how to play. And, of course, whenever we're playing that game, the whole idea is I'm on one side, the three of them are on the other side. All you constantly hear is, let's kill Scott. Let me tell you, (laughs) that's very unnerving whenever you see three young boys whispering to each other, let's kill Scott. So (laughs) you know that they weren't worrying about the rules. They were just having fun. I'm going to try and uh, get Tom. Tom and I are going to start saying that now. Every time we play a game of the shop, we're like, hey, <laughs> let's get him. Let's Scott, let's talk Scott. the meat of Thunder Road. Uh, you know what? I'll let you take the floor for the meat. I'm curious to hear what you think. 
the meat of the game here, I think, is the chaos that comes out of how you drive. You can do however you want to do it. You can be as careful as you want to, but there comes that time whenever you loosen up your tie and you're just saying, the hell with it, let's just get this done. So the meat of the game is how much of a risk you want to take there. Do you want to try and get past everyone and just get there as fast as possible? Or do you want to just be that agent of chaos and just watch the world burn around you? That was my big part of the game that I thoroughly, thoroughly loved. But the other little part of the meat of the game I loved was the extra little cards that they stick in there that they don't really talk about in the rulebook. There are cards in there that will give you special abilities for each one of the parts of the roads, or it might give you a one-off special power that you get to use that makes this game so much more uh, fun whenever you play this to make it a little bit different each time you play it. And it's not a huge change that you do. Tom and I were playing. I put down one card on each one of the parts of the road. Well, this time there's guardrails on the road. Well, mm-hmm. I'm not going to go off the road. Let's go nuts. Um <laughs> It just simple little things like happen. The worst one was there were tremors. So whenever at the beginning of each turn, you had to roll the direction die and everyone would shift. That oh, one little spot no. There. So, yeah, there was a lot of death that turn. But really, just little things they do to this to really expand the game to make it a lot more fun. Um, yeah, I take back the whole idea of how you want to drive. And I say the meat of the game are those little cards there that really turn a nice appetizer of a game into a big main course. Scott, for this one, I've just used cliff notes. Uh, you know, sometimes I write down this, the 8-bit breakdowns and I'll like, I'll write out a paragraph or, or several notes on the oh, thoughts. Yeah. I just put down two things. Uh, one was risk management, which you kind of said. A lot of the meat is, do I want to go fast? Like, okay, you want to go fast. Let's get that out of the way. It is a race. But there are some times, like one of the tiles, the only way forward is to go through two hazard tiles and you don't know what's on the underside of a hazard tile. You have no way to know. You can't like play better to figure it out or make the right decision. You just, well, I'm there and I got to move. So I'm, I'm moving. And whatever happens, happens, right? So the risk management is I can be really fast and I'm in the lead, but I'm going to be the one that's clearing out all those tiles. And right. man, we've, we've seen it a handful of times where that is like, you might be better off in second to let the other person hit the landmines first. So <laughs> risk management for sure. And then story, uh, story, story, story. This is... You're not going to play Thunder Road Vendetta and sit down with a strategy and execute your strategy well and increase your chances nope. of winning. It's control. It's not even controlled chaos. It's semi-controlled chaos. You have a little bit of input as far as like, where do I want to be? How fast do I hope to move? Where am I hoping this chopper is? And then after that, you just... You just hit play and whatever happens, happens. It's like buying a, <laughs> buying a video game sight unseen or, or reading a book without ever hearing about it. You know what? I, I don't know what I'm getting into, but whatever happens, happens. And I just got to I just gotta be okay with it. It's a storytelling game. You, you sit down and you play it to be able to, to, to just buckle in. No pun intended. Pun, pun intended. I meant to say that. So that's pun intended. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Yes, sit down to play this game to to be a part of it, be a part of the story, to get the laughs. This game gets the table erupting 
multiple times. I was playing with two people that the one guy that was sitting on my right when we were at the meetup, I never met him before. And it was so cool. He was like, you know what? My son and I used to play the original Thunder Road. So when I saw oh, you yeah, had this set yeah. up, I had to get in on it. I never met the guy. And we're laughing. We're, we're doing that like elbow into the shoulder by the time we're done playing. It's like, man, we just, <laughs> we experienced this disaster on the board and, and had a great time doing it. That's what this game's all about. You're not... You're not playing brass. You're not playing Russian railroads. You're you're being part of an event happening on the table. And I think it works because of the short time frame. If this was a two-hour, three-hour game, you'd be like, okay, that's this is come on, what are we doing with our time here, guys? I think it works because it it gives you that cinematic story in a short time frame that's a lot of fun. I think that's a great way of saying that. So the replayability and variability of this. Now, you just spewed poetically there, so let me take this right now. The replayability of this is great. I mean, you can play this game over and over. It's going to be so different each time you play. It's kind of like playing pinball. You launch that ball. You launch these cars. You don't know what's going to happen. It's going to bounce off of all sorts of stuff. One thing's bouncing off another, off another, off another, so you never know what's going to happen. So... It's Mm -hmm. right there builds in that replayability because you don't know that I had to make this move and this move and this move. It's not going to be obsession or anything like that at all. You don't know what's going to happen. The variability comes in, like I said, that little deck of cards that that they have with the different things you can add into it, the special powers you can do, the different effects that will affect each part of the road. Plus, they have all these expansions, too, that add on to it, to, to add variability to it. So I think they really looked into this, and it's it's one of those things that I hope they looked at it, and they're like, this isn't going to be a deep game. Let's not make it a deep game. Let's just make it as fun as possible. Yeah, I think you got it. I think you covered it. It's you don't know what's going to happen when you play. Uh, if you just play base game with none of the uh, none of the eight, not base game. If you just play the base game that is in the base box, none of the modules or none of the asymmetric abilities. Uh, yeah, it's going to be okay. Let's sit down for another chaos session. Uh, you throw mm-hmm. in those those drivers. You throw in those tiles. The the cards that are going to modify the tiles. That's going to give you a little bit of a different form of the chaos. And if that ever starts getting old, they do. They got to, what is the the big rails? Uh, the big rig. They got the big rig expansion. You got trucks and motorcycles, Carnage Devils Run. They've got the chop shop on top of it, which gives you like you know, nicer pieces and whatnot. But they have expansions for it so you can change it up each time you play. I think now, having not played with the expansions yet, that's happening uh, when you come over here on the 20th. We're going to have two tables set up and I'll make sure we have that. Something tells me the expansions aren't exactly going to turn this into a strategy game. I get the feeling it's probably always going to be a, you know, Look at what happens. Blow each other up and have fun doing it. Let's get to the downsides, Scott, and and that's one of my one of my downsides. I only have a couple, and they're they're not down. They're only downsides if you let them be. One of them is that yeah, it's a, it's a chaotic game. It's let's sit down and see what happens. Like you might be the best player at the table, and you might be the first one to die, and you had no no control over that. Your three cars blew up in two rounds. You know what? You'll get over it. Uh, but. That can be a downside. This ain't exactly your strategy game. Second one, it ties right into that. I feel like the game kind of needs the toy factor because it's not a deep game. Let's be honest. It is a, it's, it's a bigger, more well-produced beer and pretzels game. 
Yeah, I I think I agree with you. My biggest downside is in this is that yes, you can be knocked out of this game early. And if you are, it can feel like luck is just going against you. Uh mm-hmm. there was one time we were playing at the shop, we had four people playing. Maddie got her cars immobilized. So she had two cars that were immobilized, two car or one car that was out of the game completely. She would take a turn, she would repair Somebody came up, bumped her, knocked her out. She was immobilized again. Mm-hmm. And it just seemed like <laughs> everything was just knocking her out of it over and over and over until she finally blew up all her cars. So it was just kind of a non-event for her to play the game, which you kind of feel bad whenever you're on the outside l- looking at it. Mm, I wish there was something that could be done that would be a little bit different. But then again, I think if you do something that makes it a little bit different to keep everyone into it, that's going to bog down the game and make it not as much fun and not as much, uh, not as a quick game as it is right now. Yeah, even though they they do have a, okay, so you hear knockout and and adventures, you might be thinking, well, that's no fun. Everybody else gets to play while you just sit there. No, the game basically says once somebody reaches uh, reaches the end of the furthest tile, the game's over. So if you're knocked out, the game mm-hmm. is going to end soon. But to your point, yes, yeah, sometimes you get that first round, you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to move here, here, and here. And then your second round, your second turn comes around, you're like, I have one car left. What the hell just happened? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially in those crowded <laughs> games. So, you know, it, it, it happens. But that being said, bit number eight, was it fun? And who's it for? This game's so much fun. Oh my lord, it's fun. I I struggle to think of who it's not for because it's it's simple, it's quick, it's fun. Chaos happens. Uh you know, it, if you're a fan of like fun things happening, <laughs> then then it's for you. I I truly, you know, I, we try and make it a point anytime we're reviewing a game like don't say who's it for. Well, it's for anyone really. And, you know, was it fun? You know, don't just say like, oh, yeah, it was fun. We try and articulate our points. So to me, yes, the the game was fun. There's something awesome about being able to just roll dice, crash into cars, and whatever happens, happens. Seeing perfectly laid plans get foiled entirely can be a blast. And for me, it was. Now, the who's it for, that's where the struggle to articulate is going to come in. Kids are going to love it. You know, families are going to love it. Let's crash into debt. Let's get Uncle Scott. Let's kill Scott, right? I can't, <laughs> I can't imagine. If you don't enjoy this game, you have no soul. What you got, Scott? <laughs> I don't know how to finish up after that one. Uh, no, it was fun. It was a great time playing this game here. I wasn't sure exactly what to expect, but it was really a good time. Who's it for? I think one of the biggest things here is whenever this game first came out, it was kind of building on the whole idea of Death Race and Mad Max, but those things weren't really in the lexicon as they are now. Now you say Mad Max, everyone knows what you're talking about. So if you say it's like Mad Max, everyone's in right away. So it is literally for just about anybody. Just about anybody can play this game. It's so simple to pick up. It's fun. It's chaotic. Just like you said, I have a hard time thinking of who this game isn't for more than who's it for. You know that neighborhood grandma that like peeks through the blinds and yells at kids to get off of her lawn? She she might not oh, like. Uh, she probably wouldn't like Thunder Road that's Vendetta. That's her. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mussolini. He wouldn't be a fan. <laughs> okay. Now we're grasping at straws now. <laughs> 
All right, man. Let's do a time warp. One year ago today, we had the opportunity to review Ten Penny Parks from Thunderworks Games. It's a park building game. With, it's the one that's got the big tent in the middle with, with the rondelle, go, all the things that you can select on the outside of it. And you have your mm. own little park board where you're placing polyominoes, building up your park, collecting cards. You get thematic cards. You can build the, the aqua side of things. You can have an old west Ten Penny Parks one year later. How are we feeling about it? This is a game that I feel bad that I haven't gotten back to the table more often, which I think I'm going to probably change here quite a bit. The big thing that I hear right now is that one of the hot games that people are looking for at Gen Con is Three Ring Circus. Mm -hmm. And this kind of gives me like the same kind of feel for it, where Three Ring Circus seems like it's going to be a much deeper one, where Tenpenny Parks is a much lighter version of that game there. So I'm hoping that this doesn't lose a spot in people's collection because it is a beautiful game. It's an elegant game. It's easy to to teach people how to play this game. You have worker placement. You have a lot of decisions to make with this game. And I'm hoping that it doesn't get replaced. Or if anything else, this will be a nice entry point to going on to other games there where people can pull this out. And it is such an accessible type of game to get into. But yeah, I haven't played it in a while, but I, I I feel bad about it. I feel like I want to get it back out and play again. So that's gonna have to happen next week. I gotta I gotta get it back out again. Yeah, I like Ten Penny Parks. I I feel like if I'm now you own the copy, so I don't have this one, but you know, I have that imaginary mm-hmm. idea that someday, you know, when I pick the final I don't know, 40, 50, 60 games that like, that's my collection and I get rid of the rest. I feel like when I'm picking games that are ideal for like, not entry level, but like next level games that play in an hour with a charming theme and sweet artwork, Tenpenny Parks fits that bill. I think this one's easy to recommend. So one year later, I'd say Tenpenny Parks, uh, we still hold it in high regard. Most definitely. Then we have... uh... Uh, so Scott <coughs> so Scott we're going to make it interesting this time Andrew gave us some audio he heard some of the questions he's like you know what I, I want to chat with these guys I'm going to hit them up with some questions originally we wanted to have them on for the episode we're still having some audio issues uh, get, getting everything together he's like you know what I'm just going to record it play it you guys respond to it let's take it to Andrew hello listeners this is archmage andrew from history and we all know that people have their own personalities their own attributes and characteristics well what if those things could be represented in board games so in today's segment scott and patrick are going to play what if board games were people Alright guys, I hope you're excited to play. This iteration of What If Board Games Were People is seven questions, and each question has its own category. Henry Ford once said, Coming together is a beginning. Keeping together is progress. Working together is success. Question one's category is all about co-workers. Now, co-workers are two games with the exact same or similar gameplay, even if their themes are completely different. So, what two games 
are your favorite co-workers? All right, Scott. First one up, co-worker games. Two games that are quite similar. Two in your collection that you're like, man, these these two are like brother and sister. Or in the case of Andrew's question, co-workers. What do you say? Mm-hmm. Well, this one here, they both have polynomial pieces nah, to close. it. Close. Nice try. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I can't say it. So... <laughs> It's my southwestern Pennsylvania mouth. They can't get around those words. But anyway, <laughs> the games that I was thinking about here, Baron Park and Patchwork, where they're very similar, where you have an area that you're trying to build things out and put things in a little square. Or even from our flashback, Tenpenny Park, where you're trying to build your park. So these are all very similar with a slightly different rule set behind them as to how you get those pieces to put out. Very similar, very easy, but still give you enough of a strategy and enough meat on it to keep you busy, keep you entertained, which, hey, that's what games are for, to entertain you. So Baron Park and Patchwork and also a little bit of Tenpenny Park. What about you, Patrick? What co-workers... Have you seen milling around the water cooler? Scott, I went with the layup. I went with the the super easy layup. Andrew actually sent me his list. He's like, just so you have it for reference, here's the ones that I went with. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm going to give this a look because I, I'm kind of curious. And as it turns out, my coworker games were exactly the same ones that he put. And that's Dune Imperium and Lost oh. Ruins of Arnak. That's the first thing that came to mind, and uh, I'm guessing some adventurers thought the same thing. Uh, remarkably similar in that they both have the deck building and worker placement. Turns out they came out around the same time as well. As they each expand, they're starting to drift a little more uh, in their own directions, feeling a little more unique compared with one another, but but so similar. Still room for both in the collection. I went Dune Imperium, Lost Ruins of Arnak. Question number two. In the immortal words of the All-American Rejects, I'll keep you my dirty little secret, who else has to know? Question number two's category is called Dirty Little Secret. This is a game you absolutely love playing, but for whatever reason, you really hate admitting it to other gamers. This is your guilty pleasure game. So what game is your dirty little secret? And I promise... No one else has to know. Well, this one takes me all the way back to whenever I was about eight years old. And this game that I, I don't know if I really say I hate to love it, but there's a lot of people I don't think either know about it or think that it's too much luck driven. Okay. And that is Doctor Who, The Time of the Daleks. And this is a game from Gale Force 9, and it has different things where you go through and you you basically create your own episodes of Doctor Who as you go along. You're going through space and time trying to beat the Daleks to get to Earth before they do and you're taking all these adventures from the first Doctor all the way up to the 13th Doctor in order to stop the Daleks from destroying Earth. It's just so much fun looking at the stills on the planets and the episodes my finger quotes there, that you're going to. You have to roll dice in order to use cunning, to use science, to, to, to use cooperation in order to solve these episodes. And once you do, then you get an ability that you can get extra things to help you out. You have companions that will help you adjust the dice as you go along. And anyone who knows Doctor Who knows that he regenerates. 
So whenever they regenerate, it comes in and they may not match with their companions that they were on the show with. So they don't work well together. So now you have to go out and find their other companions to help out and play the game correctly and get the episodes completed. Huge Doctor Who fan, especially the old classic Doctor Who. And it's just so dear to my heart there. And it's one that I don't know if it's just people don't like it or they just don't know about it. But that's my game I hate to love. I went with one that I think plenty of people love, but I know that there are haters. That game is Dominion. Good old Dominion. Scott, I'm sorry. Mm. This game still holds up today, and it still holds up because it is a pure deck builder. Uh, at this point, I play it online, and when I say I play it online, I probably haven't played it for a couple of years, but like, I, if I'm going to, I want to play it online, not on the table, because the setup can be kind of a pain in the butt. But dude, we got sure. so into this game. I even made like the rondelle for the middle, or not the run, the lazy Susan board for the middle of the table, and we put all the cards oh, on that. Yes. So you, yeah, we had one of those going. And I, I remember back to my buddy Ben was getting married. We did like all the festivities and whatnot. And then since they were getting married out here in Greensburg, he just spent the night at my house. And Mike, who was in the wedding party, was over here. So it was me, Mike, and Ben. And we just sat in the basement from like six o'clock in the evening till two in the morning all night. <laughs> Re-rack. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. We had to play a dozen or 20 games of Dominion that night. And I still love it. You know, I guess the complaints against it are, oh, it's themeless. Well, yeah, it's themeless, but so are a lot of games. A lot of a lot of games are extraordinarily abstract. This one's got a lot more meat on the bones than many of those. Boop is themeless, but people, you know, oh, it's a oh, boop, boop, boop. Well, you know what? I, I, I guess I guess Dominion has plenty of lovers. It was in the top 100 for a while, and I think Intrigue is still teetering on the edge or just got bumped. So it is a highly regarded game, but there are plenty of folks that can't stand it. And man, I'm not one of them. I love it. Question three's category is kind of tricky. The category is not even wild horses. Now, no matter how good of a person you are, there will always be one individual that, for whatever reason, you just can't really stand. Some games are so awful, obnoxious, and irritating that not even wild horses could drag you into a play session. So what game would you consider your not even wild horse game. <sighs> well, wild horses is a good term to use for this one here because you couldn't have a pack of wild horses to drag me into play another game of Agricola. Oh, shots fired. You, oh, you can't no, no. stand Agricola. I do not care for that game at all. And Uwe Rosenberg has just kept it up. I played uh, Garden Bow not too long ago, and he's just still swinging at those games that I just don't want to play. Agricola was non-eventful. I had no fun playing it. There was nothing there that I even remotely enjoyed in that game. People love Agricola. Wasn't it number one for a while on BGG? Oh, yes, 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 it was. But yeah, no. I will never play another game of Agricola. You didn't nope, feed nope, your people, nope, did nope, you? Nope, nope. Oh, I could care less if they died. <laughs> I had no <laughs> no feelings at all for those people. 
Now, I'm guessing you were probably going to think that I was going to say Twilight Imperium, didn't you? Oh, no, 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 no. I was pretty sure you were going to say Greg. I know that I know that you're not keen on Twilight Imperium, but I know you well enough to know that the company of that many people at one time is pleasing enough that it's it's worth it. So I, I was like, yeah, hey, you might not like the mechanics, uh, the mechanisms in the game, but I think that he likes the... The camaraderie, the the event, the spectacle that is. Yes, 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 yes. I've known for a while okay, that you've hated so a Okay, you are wild horses. Mine's talisman. Dude, Ooh. I don't get it. The, now, some I see people sharing their pictures of this game. I, oh, All right, Scott. So uh, I was in Barnes & Noble. It was like 2016, and there was a copy of Fantasy Flight's version of talisman and i was like you know what i remember like 15 years ago the guys out in out at the at the place in washington they, they were playing this game and they were nerds this scene, oh it's like role-playing game i'm in i'm in i'm gonna play this thing and uh, you know, i opened the box and they had an insert it's like learn how to play on the computer here's your code to get the game for free on the computer on steam and i said oh, okay well, i will get the game for free on steam and i did and i played it and i was like this is terrible so I played it again, and I was like, it's still terrible. And I was like, so people, I'll play it a third time, and I'll see what people are loving. And I still couldn't see what people were loving. It is, dude, it is roll 1d6, move in one of two directions to a spot, and do what it says. And then you'd, oh, Scott, it's off. And it takes forever. It takes forever. It's like a four-hour game of, I'm going to roll the die and move here, and this thing happens. Like, oh, whoo. I see pictures of people sharing on 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 the fa- the Facebook, right? And they'll have they'll have that base game, that board, and I shudder when I see that board. But then they make it worse. They have the expansions that are like these corner editions, so Ooh. that like, oh, you can also go in this way and that way and this way and that way, and like, we're gonna play a twelve hour game of Talisman. Like, shoot me now, please. Oh, Talisman, don't like it. it. I I've played that once and yeah, I think that's another one that I played once and that's the only time I'm going to play it. But <laughs> I still remember there was one episode of Big Bang Theory where I think they were playing Talisman mm-hmm. and they had it on there. My wife and I are sitting here watching it and I physically got angry and yelled <laughs> at the TV because I knew no self-respecting people would actually play Talisman. Oh. So it's like some PA would be sitting there going, oh, look at this one. I think nerds would play this game. Let's use this one. No, no, you are wrong. Go get me a cappuccino right now, you stupid PA. Question number four's category is called Plus One. From dinner celebrations to the crazy college keggers, no matter what the occasion, the perfect plus one turns a dull experience into a night to remember. When it comes to large gatherings, a plus one game always turns the fun up to 11. What game is your perfect plus one? This one I don't have, but I've played it once and it was kind of fun. I really did enjoy here. That game was Joking Hazard, because this one just tapped into that dark sense of humor I have, where you're playing out, they put out two cards from, what is it, the the comic book series is Cyanide and Happiness. Okay. So you put out two cards, and it's like, here's the lead-in, here's the middle part, and then you have cards in your hand that you finish out what the comic strip is going to look like. 
And let me tell you what, they do not pull punches on some of these cards. They are dark. <laughs> and there are times that I really like that dark humor. And it just tickles my funny bone like you wouldn't believe sometimes. Joking Hazard is one of those games that whenever I see it, I'm always tempted to pick it up. But then it's like, that's going to be one more party game that's going to be out in the wild. So maybe I'll just leave it here. <laughs> But uh, Joking Hazard always makes me laugh. All right. My plus one I went with Cash and Guns. This is one with those little foam Ooh. pistols in it. And, uh, dude, when we had the lobster party uh, last year, the year before, it's always like, okay, let's break out Cash and Guns. It's weird. I don't take it to the meetups because I'm like, I don't know if they, if somebody's going to be like, I don't like the look of this. Or like we're in the back of uh, the, the, the coffee shop, right? They have that back room. I don't want somebody at the <laughs> register who's just popping in for a coffee to look in the back and see a bunch of people like sternly holding – I mean – they are foam guns, but from a distance, you know, maybe they can't tell the orange piece on the end. They're like, what is happening in this coffee shop? But it's a great little game. It's a chance to, to, to like, you know, throw your muscle around and, and you're pointing foam guns at your friends. And, and inevitably, you hold it sideways like a gangster. You, know, you hold it like this because <laughs> it brings out laughter. It actually has – I don't want to say skill, but there is a little bit of thought put into the like. Okay, who am I going to point the gun at? Uh, there's usually a reason why. Okay, well he's he's the godfather. He's at the head of the table when he multiply. Oh, that person's in the lead, so it makes sense. And mm -hmm. then inevitably somebody's going to be the chaos. Why are you pointing it at me? I'm in last place. There's always that guy that like you know what I just don't <laughs> like you. And it's a quick frivolous game. It, it, it's a lot of fun. I always enjoy cash and guns. Good choice. Good choice there. Moving right along, things are about to get sexy as question five's category is called the horizontal tabletop bop. All people are created equal, but some are created more equal than others. Unfortunately, the cold water in the face of life is that some people are significantly and categorically hotter than others. The horizontal tabletop bop refers to a game where the components, artwork, table presence, and quality make it the most attractive thing you've ever had on your table. What game is your favorite horizontal tabletop bop? Tabletop bop. The best production. Uh, your opinion, Scott. Give me a game with phenomenal, awesome production. This is one that I, I really need to revisit because... Whenever I first played it, it blew my mind. Uh-oh. And this is a solo game only, really, and that is Nemo's War. Mm. That one there is one of those games you just want to be by yourself and be with that game. Because you have so many decisions, so many little things you moving around and little chits that you're pulling out of ships you're attacking or ships that are attacking you. So many little things. The artwork is gorgeous. And hey, it's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I'm in already. I absolutely adore that story, adore the movie, everything about that. But yeah, Nemo's War was one of those games, and I must thank you for that Christmas present oh, that year. But of course. That just knocked the top off my head. It was just like, wow, this is freaking amazing. So Nemo's War. 
I would not have what thought Nemo's War with? for best production. I mean, it's cards, it's wood, it's not especially colorful, but I like it. I like having a, a bit of a throwback pick. You know, we hear we hear best production, and inevitably it's like, oh, this has plastic or or the giant tower or miniatures, right? And uh, that's kind of where I went with this for direction. Scott, it's hard to argue with uh, with Frost Punk. Uh, I have it set up, and I'm trying to get through mm. the rules, and it looks fantastic. It came with like the pre shaded minis and whatnot. There's a lot of tiles, you know. Not everything. Is, uh, is is 3D and amazing, but the production quality goes beyond that. The art's cool. The tiles are chunky. I like the way it looks on a table. For me, though, it's hard to argue with mechs versus minions. Uh, talk about value. Eight, I think it's on their website. No, they're out at the moment, but it's always been 80 bucks. You get those pre-painted giant mechs to play with. Dude, the game trays inserts the sealed envelopes. Fantastic production quality on mechs versus minions. Keeping with the romantic theme, question six category is called Ex-Lover. An Ex-Lover game is when one of your longtime favorite games, for reasons unknown, transforms into something you wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. What game began with love but ended with indifference? What game is your most memorable Ex-Lover? Well, that's actually going to take me back to one of your choices here earlier, and that is Dominion. Dominion, I think, is a great game. It really led in the whole charge of deck building games and everything like that. But it's one of those ones that so many other games have now gone on and done it that much better. Mm-hmm. And not saying that it's a bad game. It's, it's, it's a decent game. But after you play it so many times, you just get to the point where it is just playing solitaire with a bunch of people around the table. There's no real interaction that you have that's going on. You know what you're going to be doing after you play your turn. You already know what you're going to do your next turn already. You aren't even paying attention to what anyone else is doing. It just kind of lost its luster in my eyes that... What was it? I played one time whenever I was in Philly. I had a couple of my coworkers. I'm like, let's try Dominion. Let's play that game. And it was nice to revisit it, but it's one that I, I think I have scratched out the number in my little black book there. Fair enough. Fair enough. I went with one that I I might not be a surprise to adventurers. I went with Magic the Gathering, and it's strictly because I don't have the time anymore. I mentioned in our top 10 episode that this was my honorable mention. Probably probably would have made the list any other year, but it didn't quite feel like board gamey enough. I think for me, it's a combination of, I mean, they are pumping out product like crazy. Oh. Yeah. Like, it's so hard to keep up with. Everything has 19 versions of the card, some foil, some not, some alternate art, some not. Uh, it's just, it's too much to keep up with. Uh, it used to be big set, small set, small set. That was it for a year. And I mean, you, you get rid of the commons. It's like, okay, there's going to be a hundred new rares this year. I can, I can manage that. And you know what? I only need four of them, four copies of each. So I need to buy 16 cards this year and you could play anything. And now it's like, holy crap, they're just... It's coming out of a fire hose. I can't can't keep up with it. So for me, ex-lover, Magic the Gathering. Well, guys, we've reached the final question. Question number seven. The category is called high school. Friendships formed in high school usually fade the day after graduation. However, some high school friendships last for decades, even a lifetime. 
A high school game is considered one of the first games you purchase as a serious board game enthusiast that, despite the passing of years or even decades, continues to end up on the table. What game is your high school game? I think that the adventurers might know what this one is, but this was more of a college sweetheart. And that is my oh, God, dear, you're do dear Euchre sweet again. Euchre. Oh, of course. Yes. <laughs> that is, I mean, I know all the curves of her body. I know where to touch her. Wait. Nope. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I was getting Family a little show. there. <laughs> I sit down to play. I don't even have to think. I'm so into it. I just play by muscle memory. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know exactly what card to play, what card to play, what card to play. Boom. Oh, I should have done this differently, done this, that second trick. I should have done this. And you are just tearing apart everything that you played. Everything about the game, I just absolutely adore. And yes, that this is a game that will be with me till my dying days. And that is Euchre. Scott, mine's one that probably could have filled in that uh, that other people don't necessarily love it, but I still do. Mm-hmm. Base Catan. Good old Settlers of Catan. Oh, yes. You know what? My brothers and I and, and Mike, we've been playing it on BGA together. Like, uh, I'll put Sarah to bed when Chris is on the road. And, All right, guys, 930. Let, let's roll. And we'll fire it up and we'll, we'll play good old-fashioned Catan. No expansions, no nothing special, just the base game. It's a flawed game. You know, it it, it can't go long. Uh, sometimes you're just mm-hmm. out of it after, uh, you know, a third of the way in and you just got to claw and scrape your way in. But it is self-correcting. People tend to not trade with the person in the lead. People tend to put the robber on the person that's that's in the lead. So it has that going for it. You know what? I, I've, I've seen hundreds of games of it to this point, and yet we're still having a really good time with it. You, you just... Turn on the computer. We we get a conference call going. We start shit talking each other. Uh, it's like being in high school again when we play that. So for me, <laughs> it's guitar. Well, guys, thanks for playing. That's all I have for this segment of what if board games were people. I hope I have given you something to think about. Scott, episode 102 was a fun one. It always feels good when we get to do a review game that hits home and man, Thunder Road Vendetta hit all the notes for me, which is weird because it's not exactly a strategic romp, but uh, romp (laughs) it is. Let's talk about how we leveled up. All right. Well, my leveling up here was I got to go back and be somebody else for uh, for a weekend. So I got to be in a murder mystery this this past weekend, and it it was really kind of different because uh, I played a serial killer, and uh, it's it's um, an interesting world to be part of. So the whole idea was that I was part of a serial killers anonymous uh, meeting. And someone dies in it. But I got to play H.H. Holmes, which um, Google him. He's a creepy guy. The thing about it was I needed to shave my beard. And I have (laughs) a scary mustache right now. It's a porn stash. Let's be honest. (laughs) I was sitting waiting for rehearsal one night. And I'm sitting in this park with this mustache. And people are walking past me sitting in a car. And I'm like... I look like a child predator right now. <laughs> I, I need to leave this park right now. It was creepy. I But I was able to shave down afterwards and start growing my beard back again. But 
it was a great time to get back into it. And it was just such a wonderful day of laughs and joking. And that's all you can ask for. So, yeah, being a part of a murder mystery, it was a great, great time. So how did you level up? Also kind of part of a mystery, it was our online game of Alice is Missing, which we actually Ooh. just did last night. And I, I put it in, it like, okay, you played a game, Pat, whoop de doo But no, first of all, for me to navigate Discord, that's a level up in and of itself. Uh, and, and I dare I say you as well. We are not Discord pros, but yes. uh, Josh facilitated the game, our own explorer, and he did a fantastic job. We got to play with Ryan and his wife. There are five of us. Dude, it is hard to coordinate getting three people in the same place at the same time, and all five of us on a weeknight at that, where we were able to stay up and play mm-hmm. it. Uh, you know, I'll save thoughts on the game, but the experience with, you know, getting to, to hook up with everyone online and play into the wee hours of the night, that was a blast. It was a good time. Definitely a good time. Hey, adventurers, thank you so much for tuning in to episode 102 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Scott, last words? Uh, whenever you can sleep, sleep. Because I really need sleep right now after gaming. Yeah, I had nothing. (laughs) Thank you, adventurers, for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, Always do what you can to level up.